Welcome, my friends, to the podcast that never ends, where we gather our clan and talk about peace and love in our lives, the difficulties along the journey, and how we rise up. We will experience a little thing I call cluberty together, find our sweet spot, and planting our seeds to watch them grow in our magic garden. I'm Uncle Dave, and our transformation starts right here. Hey now, and how are you doing? want to welcome you to the next episode of Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat. I want to bring on our next guest, my friend Ben, and I want to let you hear about all the great stories that he has, but also how you get stories out of you and how you can move forward with so many different ways. So how are you doing, Ben? I'm doing so well, Dave. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you know, I know we've, we've connected the, the magic of the internet. And, you know, it's, it's, it really is one of those things that it is amazing how it comes, how it comes that. So I'm going to introduce you as, so you, you are a writer as well as you do some writing, uh, you, you know, and you teach people how to get some things out of, the, out of them. So what made you decide that you wanted to be a writer? That's a really good question. Um, uh, you know, I think it was sometime around seventh grade, 12 years old. And a teacher, I can't even remember who it was, but really smart person made us keep a journal. So I started the actual practice, the habit of writing uh, right out of the gate. And that was really something. And, you know, I was already a pretty, uh, pretty voracious reader, you know, even in grammar school, like I liked reading novels. Um, and there was some time around 12 or 13 where I said, you know what, I want to write a novel. I think I was reading novels in which the protagonist, the main character, was writing a novel, and it sounded, you know, very exciting and and very compelling. So that was that was in the mix to me for me. And then uh, I got into high school and I started publishing stuff right away by joining the yearbook of all things. And basically, for the last thirty five, thirty six years, I've just been writing and publishing nonstop. That's awesome. Uh, well, it's, it's great to find your passion so early in life and then to continue to follow it, you know. So I know uh, right now you're, you're currently in uh, Italy. We, we had a little conversation about that. What are the things that, that, that bring you those passions? So how, how, do you, how are you able to find that wonderful balance of finding, following your passions? Because you also have been a coach uh, and, and you help, like I said, we're, we're going to talk about getting the stories out of people let's get some of the story out of, out of you how your journey on life and, and the the great stories of you know your writing history yeah thank you uh gosh there's um there's i, I am one of those people where there's definitely a lot to tell <laughs> right and if we had the four hour extended version of this podcast maybe we could do a big chunk of it um but i'll, I'll do do some of the highlights um and i think that the 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 funny way to start, the funny, not funny way to start is I spent a lot of time, a lot of my life being really miserable and really suffering. I just did not have a clear understanding of myself. I did not have a clear understanding of my own spiritual path. Um, I think I was like a lot of people who grew up in our generation in the U.S., but there wasn't a lot of guidance uh, in you know, in, in, in how do we engage with our hearts, 
right? There was a lot of like, here's what you can do and here's what you have to achieve. And right, you want to be great in school and get into this great college. So I was all in the land of perfection and achievement and misery on the inside, not even really realizing it. And then I found my way into drugs and I was like, these are great. Drugs are great <laughs> because, you know, it was, it was such a different experience. And sometimes some of those experiences were, were giving me that, that deeper spiritual connection, or at least what I thought was a deeper spiritual connection. Uh, but it wasn't really until I hit rock bottom with the drugs and went back to India for my second time uh, that I found my way to uh, meditation and a few other things, um, which I can get to the next story. Uh, I can share a story about that, but I just don't want to talk incessantly. So let me pause there, Dave. <laughs> yeah. So that was one of the things where I was really leading to is, you know, we learn things in life. And obviously at this point, you've unlearned a lot of things that have made you great, uh, you know, in being doing things. So, we, you know, we, we make mistakes. We, you know, we, again, right before this conversation, we were talking about some mistakes that we, we, we've made in our personal lives. But it's the unlearning and then relearning that really brings us the value of those stories. We can live wherever we want to live, but it's the it's the value of learning what we how do we interpret those stories and experiences. So why don't you tell me a little bit about some of the unlearning that you've done? Yeah, thank you. Um, I think some of it's still going on, <laughs> <laughs> um, but a big a big one is perfection and has been perfection. Uh, you know, I was uh, I was very academic in high school, like seventh in my high school, and you know would study like crazy and even even cheat on tests, right? Because getting a hundred wasn't enough at that point, and this was the level of competition. And it didn't mean I didn't study for hours and hours and hours, but it was like, okay, got to get the thing because I got to go to Harvard or got to go to the Ivy League or whatever it is. And you know, it was just this relentless pursuit of, you know, it was it was. Yeah, excellence is one thing. I'm a big fan of excellence, um, but not obsessive perfectionism because there is there's no uh, there's no joy and no love in that after a while for yourself, right? It's just because you're never good enough for yourself. So, so I just I did that over and over and over again, and then um, you know, like I was saying before, got into college and uh, drugs kind of forced imperfection. And I think it helped in the in in some levels because it was like okay, you know, step back, take a take a break, take a new look at kinds of things. But it was it was a swing on the pendulum, right? If you're at one side of the pendulum, like that's not good. If you're at the other side of the pendulum, that's still not good either. But like what the Buddha talked about, you know, the middle path uh, is really the great place to be. And it took me a long time to unlearn my. The, you know, the edges of the pendulum and find my way to the middle again. Yeah, it's finding that balance. Uh, that, that, that's what that bring a bat really means. It's finding what's balanced for you and where you learn to find, you know, the non-negotiables, the, the opportunities where it's comfortable for you. Uh, you know, that's why, you know, I enjoy that, you know, our conversations that we've had so far is because it's not about that perfection. Because again, perfection, you know, I've always said this, Perfection is one time, one moment in time. So you could be perfect for one moment, but the second you sit down for that next test uh, in baseball, if you threw a perfect game, that next time that you play, guess what? That doesn't that doesn't carry on anything else, you know. Uh, so that's that's why perfection 
is really just a vision and it's the idea of working for it. So how would you work towards your excellence? You were just messing, just mentioning. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so gosh, that's, that, <laughs> that's another one that goes on and on for me. Um, but it's the, uh, I think it really comes down to how can I serve through what I'm doing? Right. I have a very, I have a very privileged life. I grew up in a very privileged way. And it wasn't that I was, you know, exceptionally rich or exceptionally anything. Um, But I was and still am a white guy who grew up in the United States, you know, in a, in and around New York city. So there was a, an array of, of thinking and perspective and, you know, opportunity that wasn't available, that isn't available to many, many people on this planet. Um, so, so over the years, rather than, you know, I mean, of course I wanted to do things really well. I wanted to write a great book. I wanted to be a great coach. I wanted to give great talks when I do public speaking, but it's, it's, Hey, I'm not doing this ultimately for myself, right? I'm doing this because I have an opportunity to be of service to other people in the world because so many people in the world have served me in so many ways, right? Like my mom freaking birthed me out of her body, (laughs) (laughs) right? And then fed me and changed my diaper and all those things. And then all the, you know, my, my dad and his ways, my family, my friends, I mean, the, the, you know, we are so beholden to every other being in the universe, right? And there's so much suffering for so many people and I was like, wait a minute, if I focus, if and when I focus on service rather than what can I do for myself or how can I get this right for myself, then I'm spending more time in, you know, what's the truth of now, right? And when I'm more time, when there's more time with the truth, then I can respond you know, dynamically and proactively to what needs to happen in that moment for that person, you know, sometimes it's say, it's to say something. Sometimes it's to do something. Sometimes it's just to shut up and listen and be present. <laughs> yeah. So, what? How do how do you get present? So, what's what's one of the, what's one of the ways or some resources? We always talk about a lot of resources here. Yeah. Thank you. So, uh, I'm a big fan of connecting to uh, the feeling of love in my heart. Right. I have done meditation for, gosh, 17 years now, not always consistently, but I've done it for 17 years. I've done a different bunch of different practices and worked with different teachers and then tried. And there's a lot of great ways to be present. You know, you can follow your breath. You can um, feel your feet. Right. You can so many things. But what I've really come to understand is that when I at least hang out with the feeling of love, then I am hanging out with the feeling of love and you know, generating and resonating that feeling of love around me. And very often that in itself makes good things happen for the people or the animals or the situation that's around me, right? So, you know, first and foremost, like whoever's listening right now, right? Like whatever, however you can get present, like get present, just, you know, get like be here now as, as Ram Dass says, however you can do that and consider using that, that anchor, if you will, um, 
of love in your heart because man, it's brilliant, especially when you're behind the wheel in traffic and you want to just smash your head on the wheel over and over again because you can't get home and everybody's a freaking jerk, right? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm from New York, I can say that. <laughs> but if I can spend some more time in love and you know, wish that love to the people around me, then I know they're getting the benefit of that. And that's really helping me, you know, hang out right now instead of multiplying the suffering of being stuck in traffic. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I, I, you know, I've mentioned that to so many people and when you're in traffic, that's one of the best times to meditate because they, everybody thinks meditation is all about closing your eyes. And, and I go, no, it, it, it's not, it can be, don't get me wrong. Uh, is that piece of that, but appreciating the now, the, the Ram Dass thinking, you know, Eckhart Tolle, it's the now, it's those pieces of embracing the now. And, you know, like when, even when people cut you off while driving, they're not cutting you off. Yes, physically they are, but they're not getting up in the morning and saying, hey, Dave, I'm going to cut you, I'm going to cut Dave off later today. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just how they're living their lives. And if we choose to engage in that piece of that, that's where... We, we make that choice. You can also make that choice to, again, surround yourself with love. I mean, that's why peace and love. And, and I love always recentering yourselves. And, and I do talk a lot about the centering, the, the R in my heart, because I like using a lot of the R words, you know, resilience and rising. But it's also part of it is also the word earth is the same letters as, you know, my listeners might have known as I say it often, it's, you know, if you ground yourself within the earth, walk outside and then you're able to ground yourself and then fill it up with love as you were just mentioning it. Now, do you have a special R that, that you like to use since, since I, since I, it, it pops up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I like the word relax and not just because relaxing is lovely, but uh, one of the most powerful practices that I have ever learned from from a teacher around meditation is that when, when you're meditating, right. And, you know, I'll, I'll use the example of, again, you know, being in, being with that feeling of love in my heart, you know, the, the old instructions, what I learned in the past was, Hey, if you get distracted, you know, bring your attention back to your, what you're focusing on, right. Bring your attention back, bring your attention back. Right. And what this teacher helped me understand was that, when you force your attention back, you're creating some tension and tightness in your head and in your experience because you're, oh, I got to get back to this thing, right? I got to get back. I got to get back. And it's like, no, wait a minute. The, the, you get distracted. You know, recognize you. Here's another R. <laughs> Here are many R's, right? Recognize the distraction. Release the distraction. Right? Don't pay attention. Don't get involved in it. And then relax your head. Relax your face, smile or re-smile if you've been smiling already, and then return to your heart, right? So that whole idea of relaxing with the distraction and, and if we take it beyond meditation, like something comes up and you get you know, agitated, annoyed, angry, angry, whatever it is, if the first thing you can do is relax your head, relax your face and smile, then your mind will lighten up a little tiny bit and it'll give you potentially that space to actually respond instead of reacting. Here we go. R, 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 R. See, I, <laughs> I, you know, it's one of those diseases. You know, once you start doing it, 
it, it, it, it goes subconsciously. And you're a writer, so I can imagine what's going on. <laughs> but, but that's what happens. Uh, you know, is finding that one space. And that's what the real trick of the matter is in, in life, is when you start meditating, you're able to build that, you know, resilience space of taking yourself away from the whatever's the outside stimuli. So, you know, if you choose to enjoy the experience, then you, we, we get into it much quicker. But when we notice the less good experiences, we're able to take that space, and it's that breath that you take. And if you can take that breath, that's what that's the one difference that can make the, the difference in what would go forward, rather than tensing up and being able to, you know, re- react much differently. And again, in traffic, you know, here in New York, uh, as well as other places, you know, don't tense up. Let go of that steering wheel and relax. Yeah, you said it. So you, you've experienced a lot in, in life uh, as you've got through there. You said you, you've been to India twice. What has that taught you? You know, like uh, I, we talk about Phoenix moments, but it doesn't have to be a Phoenix moment. Uh, what are the learnings that you've, you've, you've got in, in, in a short period of time versus? Yeah, so so it's a couple of Phoenix mon- moments, which I will share, and then a couple of non-Phoenix moments. Um, so uh, Indi- India is amazing because it's it's completely psychedelic 100% of the time, <laughs> right? You can see, I have seen the most beautiful thing I've ever seen with one of the most horrendous things I've ever seen right next to each other more than once, right? Um, so, you know, sights, smells, sounds, just there's an assault of everything. And and somehow when you kind of step back, you know, physically or metaphorically step back, there is an incredible harmony to the whole thing. So that's that's what, what really amazes me. And uh, that so many people uh, who in many ways were suffering... And, you know, there's some really heavy duty poverty in certain parts of India that a lot of times that there was still uh, a joy and a happiness and, uh, you know, an engagement with life that I think a lot of times people don't have, you know, especially in the West, right? Like we get lost in the, uh, in the accomplishment and the things and the money and the, you know, Mm got to make sure I can pay my bills. And, And I mean, yes, that's all important. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes we lose sight of, like, hey, here's life, right? And uh, let's hang out more in life. So there was that. And then Phoenix moments. Um, I did a, uh, I did a hike or a trek, if you will, in southern India in the mountains. And within the space of 72 hours, I faced death four times. Four times? Four times. <laughs> Not just once, right? And it was, uh, you know, going up to the trek, uh with the bus, our bus smashing into the guardrail on a windy mountain road and the bus almost going off. So I'm in the back. So if you can picture like the yellow school buses where the, mm-hmm. the back of the bus is beyond the back wheels, right? It's almost like, mm-hmm. it's almost like a tail. <laughs> like I was in the back, 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 back seat. And that tail went out over the abyss. Ten, you know, we're about 6,000 feet up at that point, And I went, <gasps> You know, and then somehow we the bus righted itself and got back on the road. But there was that moment of like, oh, my God, this is it. <laughs> right? We're going down. So that happened. And then we start trekking and, you know, hear some 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 yelling off in the distance. And, you know, nothing is in English at this point. I, I, 
I can't, um, I think they're speaking, I think we're in Tamil Nadu, so the, the language is Tamil, Tamil, T-A-M-I-L, right? And the guy that I'm with, you know, he turns to me and he says, run. I'm like, run? <laughs> He's like, run. And we go running, running, running for like 15 minutes, not kidding, running, running, running. And, and, you know, I'm from New York, right? So if I'm running, it's either police or bad people. <laughs> you know, that's just what I'm thinking. <laughs> we get, we get, we stop. And uh, I said, you know, like, what the hell was that? And he said, it was a wildfire. And the yelling was uh, an entire village working together to deal with the wildfire. And wow. we needed to get out of there. So bad. Wow. Um, yeah. And then, and then a, encountering a poisonous snake. And then a little bit later, encountering a mountain lion. <laughs> so, did you yeah. ever get the feeling that maybe you weren't supposed to be on that trip? <laughs> yes, or, or you know that I was in exactly the right place because the the you know the big takeaways from that whole experience oh. were such a profound gratitude for my life, for the gift of my own life, and an absolute you know, resonant connection to, I mean, I knew my purpose was to help people, but it was so galvanized at that point. And it was like, you know what? I could die at any point. I can't, I don't even know if I'm going to make it till tomorrow. Like, what can I do? How can I serve? How can I help right now? Um, that's awesome. That, all on the, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. All, all on one trip within 72 hours. You know, yeah. uh, that's why I always say uh, the universe will bring you the information and sometimes it'll bring it to you more than once, or it's going to bring you yes with a bat in a more observatory way, right? It definitely is not going to be a gentle kind, oh, you should get it like this. It's going to really hit you upside the head and bring you to your knees type of you know, coming to Jesus moment, uh, not really talking about a religion, but you know, like, yeah, you get it. Oh, my goodness. So, so much so. And, and that's a perfect bridge to my second time in India because I was doing another another hike, another trek. And this time, this is, we're way up north in India. So this is, uh, it's called Ladakh. Mm -hmm. And this is the Tibetan plateau. We're up in the Himalayas, 12,000 feet up. So for, for, for those of you who do metric, like 3,700 meters up there. And I did not show up to India with new boots for my, for my second trip, like dumbass, right? Like I just, ran around, got ready for my trip, showed up. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't go hiking with these boots. Let me get, let me get new boots. So I go running around to the, like the little shops and I'm like, do you have size 13? And they're like, ha 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 ha. Absolutely not. Right. <laughs> so I go to a cobbler on the street and he fixes the boots and in fix, he does a great job on this, on the soles. He replaces the soles with airplane tire rubber of all things. <laughs> does this brilliant job. I'm like, thank you so much but he fixed the back parts like where, you know, the boot would touch mm -hmm. your Achilles tendon. And in the fixing of that by the middle of day one. So this is a nine day hike. We're going to hike for six or eight hours a day. Every other day, we're going to go over a high pass, which means we're going to hike from 12,000 feet to 16,000 feet and back down again. So we're going to do four of those. So lunchtime day one, I have, the two biggest blisters on each of my Achilles tendons, right? And I am so mad at myself and I'm weeping and I'm just like, oh my God, you know, like, and there's nothing I can do except walk forward. Like literally, figuratively, metaphorically, I can just walk forward. <laughs> and 
I did the math on this. I think it was 144,000 steps that I took. Wow. Right. And everything, every single step was ow, 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 you know, like, God damn it, ow, you know, and then, you know, over and over day after day, and then day like five or six, and, you know, so 12,000 feet up, and we're looking at these 28,000 foot peaks, because we're just surrounded by these mountains, and I'm looking, and I'm like, oh, my God, everything is so beautiful. Why is everything so beautiful? And I'm like, I'm not on drugs. Like, why is everything so beautiful? And I realized, I was like, oh, my God. I have never spent so much time in the present moment in my life. Right? This was before meditation. This was before I had any tools, any clue, basically. And I was being forced into the present moment with every single step because of ow, ow, ow. And then I realized how powerful the present moment is in the beauty and the grandeur around me. And then I figured out something even cooler, like 12 years later (laughs) from this whole experience is the difference between pain and suffering, Mm. right? It's like pain. We got pain. We're human beings. We have bodies. Everything changes constantly. We're going to, you know, get sick, get old and die the whole deal. Um, that's all the pain, but the suffering is all the things that we add on to it, the story and the why me and blah, 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 blah. And we just multiply, you know, basically we, we have the pain and then we add all this suffering on top of it. And then the more we add, we just multiply it exponentially for ourselves and everybody around us. And so it was that recognition of like, oh, when I started relaxing and going, oh, yeah, this still freaking hurts. But you know what? The more important thing is this beautiful landscape around me and this beautiful opportunity in this place that I'm so blessed to be in. And I don't know if I'll ever be here again in my life. We'll see what happens. Um, and, and from there, I actually do a keynote called The Buddha Smile, and it's how to quit suffering now, smiling, relaxing, coming back into your heart. Yeah, it's it's appreciating that 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 now uh, you sounds like you're in, in some beautiful territory. You could have focused on your foot, which I'm sure it hurt, and I'm sure it took weeks after the trek to heal properly. And probably you could even still think about it and, and still feel some of the pain. But that's a choice, right? So, but then you told you decided to embrace, uh, as you said, the Buddhist smile and enjoy uh, enjoy the moments that you were there and the beauty that you were surrounded by. Now, how, how did you become a coach and the, the, how the coaching then has translated into you assisting people to guide them how to write their books? Most people want to write a book, but most people don't know how to do that. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Thank you. So um, so the, in, in uh, I guess, you know, a, a, a fuller expression of me trying to be in service and, you know, be expressing my purpose in the way that I could do it. I had uh, left the corporate world. I had a career in magazines for quite a few years because I'm from New York originally. So, you know, titles like Modern Bride and Condé Nast Traveler and uh, AARP, the magazine, like I was in the mix with all of those titles. And I realized uh, from having traveled to South Africa in 2002, I was like, oh, People need help. <laughs> and I, I knew that from reading the news and, and you know, seeing things on TV. But 
there's that difference when you go and see something and have the direct experience, mm. right? And so I was like, wow, I need to, I really need to help. So let me see if I can change the work that I'm doing. So I had left New York, I moved to California, and I stepped into the nonprofit world and I worked with uh, the ALS Association for a bit. Mm-hmm. This is Lou Gehrig's disease, yep. right? Uh, the same thing that Stephen Hawking had as well, but he had a, you know, different variant because he lived a he lived Stephen Hawking lived much longer than most people with ALS, right? Um, so in the course of doing that, you know, certainly we helped a lot of people, did a lot of good, but I, it was limited in the number of people and it was limited in our ability to impact them because there was so much emphasis on raising money and seeking donations. And I realized that so many nonprofit nonprofits and NGOs like were really, you know, had this great mission, but they only had so much ability to make an impact because of money, literally because of money. Yep. <laughs> right. So I was like, well, how can we, how can I, create, you know, the impact or begin to create the impact of a great nonprofit or NGO with the the leverage and the resources of a for-profit company, you know, without screwing over people or the environment mm-hmm. by just focusing on the bottom line, right? <laughs> that was the that was the big question for me. Um so so I realized that hey, I got to I got to step out on my own and right at that time I had this beautiful opportunity where a uh somebody who knew really was paying attention to my work because he was the husband of my boss at the ALS association. He said, Hey, Ben, I'm taking my business online. Would you like to be my director of sales and marketing? And I said, wow, I would love to be your director of sales and marketing. Uh, Is it okay that I have background in neither sales nor marketing? (laughs) (laughs) And he said, yes, it is. Figure it out. So I said, okay, and I leapt, you know, took the leap with him and, uh, you know, bumps and bruises and learning because I didn't, I didn't know any of the stuff. I never went to business school. I had studied liberal arts. I have no regret about that at all, but I just, I didn't know business. I didn't know finance. I didn't know, I mean, I could barely balance my checkbook for goodness sake. And uh, yeah, just took, took that journey and started realizing that uh, to share my message in a bigger way, I had to write a book. And uh, yeah, so wrote my first book and was getting ready to write my second book. This is, this is where another fun story comes in. <laughs> getting ready to write my second book. And uh, Dave, I don't know about you. Uh, I mean, I'm sure today you're good at this stuff. But <laughs> in, my, in my past, like I was not good at putting stuff on the calendar and if I put stuff on the calendar, I was not good at actually following the calendar, right? So, so I was kind of a hot mess as an entrepreneur. I was in <laughs> a lot of debt. You know, I was making less than 30000 bucks a year at this point, like, you know, really, really struggling, no assets, the whole deal. <laughs> I had, you know, from the drug years, like I had taken all the money out of my 401k. I mean, it was just, you know, all, all the stuff, right? <laughs> and uh so I, I had written my first book and, and then a couple of years later, somebody reached out to me on LinkedIn and she's like, hey, would you like to come do a two-day training at Stanford University to visiting business people? And I said, of course I'd like to do that, <laughs> right? Come on. Um, so we signed the contract. Hooray, hooray. Great, great, great. 
And I said to her, uh, after we signed the contract, and I had learned this from a business coach, I said, thank you so much. I'm so excited to add a bunch of value to the event. I'm going to show up with printed autographed copies of my book for everyone in the audience for free, like 130 people. She's like, oh, my God, that's amazing. You know, they're, that's going to add so much value to them, make it memorable for them. And it makes us look like a really great you know, production company. I said, you're welcome. My pleasure. Hung up the phone and I went, oh, I got to write a book right now. <laughs> and I wrote a book in about three and a half weeks, got it produced in the next three weeks and six and a half weeks after that phone call, showed up to Stanford, books in hand, did the event, which turned out really, really well. And then that company, sorry, the, the company the, mm -hmm. that made up the audience they hired me to come speak at their headquarters a year later in Sydney, Australia. The event company hired me for a bunch of other speaking gigs. And then here's the icing on the cake. While I was frantically writing the book in those three and a half weeks, I had somebody on Fiverr do a digital cover of my book, right? Like you've mm -hmm. probably seen that multiple times. And I put it up on LinkedIn. Somebody else finds me on LinkedIn. They're like, hey, we're creating a mindfulness and empathy video game for a Fortune 100 company, and it's going to be used, utilized, played, whatever the word is, by 20,000 employees. Would you like to write the curriculum for that? And I was <laughs> like, of course I would like to do that. And I, you know, I have no idea how to do any of this, but they had seen my book and in the subtitle of my book, well, the title of my book was Influence with a Heart, right? So I think that stood out. And then in the subtitle was the word empathy. And they were making a video game about empathy. And they're like, hey, let's talk to that guy. <laughs> so hooray for the, 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 you know, all of the successes of that. But the big takeaway, you know, for, for our listeners today is you can leverage the, your book long before it's published. You can leverage the idea of your book even before it's written, not only to get clients, but think about it like to make a bigger impact with your message, right? Like I had, I don't know, a hundred people on my email list at that point, but I was able to get my teachings to 20,000 people because of that situation. That's awesome. That's an awesome story. It also taking care of every opportunity that you have faced, right? Uh, you know, at the director of sales and marketing and you had no sales or marketing background, you're like, yeah, I could do that. Uh, that's, you know, that, that, that's a lot what I do. Uh, you know, I don't when I in corporate America, they were like, can you do this? The answer was always yes, because I'll figure it out. Uh, I always used to say I'm Mikey in the old life commercials. Give it to Mikey. He'll leave it everything. Give it to Dave. He'll figure it out. And when he doesn't figure it out, he'll find the right people to do it. That's that goons for good piece that I've always talked about, which is about charities. And, and I, I know you're passionate about a lot of charities, not only the ALS, because you were working for them for a while, I'm sure. There, but there's also, I know, other charities that you're passionate about. But that's what brings us together for your passions. Now, I know one of the big passions, and I want to give you some time to talk about it, is that you have a three-day virtual conference at the end of October this year that you're, you're looking to do to help people write a book much like you did uh, now, not not in the, in the future, not next year, now. Could you explain that to us? 
Sure, yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate you asking. Um, so the event is called Publish, Position, and Profit Master Plan. And the whole idea is that, you know, whether you have an idea for a book, a finished manuscript, or something in between, um, you know, most people don't know what to do with their book next. Like, they don't know how to get it finished. They don't know what to do about publishing. They don't know what to do about launching, how to monetize, all that kind of stuff which I totally understand. I didn't know any of that stuff. And the first book coach that I worked with, you know, in, in you know, your long program, he taught me how to write a book. Thanks. Which was amazing, but he didn't tell me what to do with it. Once the book was published, he didn't even tell me how to get the book published. Right. So, you know, people think many people think, uh, remember field of dreams, right. That Kevin Costner <laughs> movie, yep. if you build it, they will come. No, they won't. They will not come. <laughs> Yeah, there's so much content out there, right? So it's not... Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So so what I realized was, hey, let me put together this event where I can help people. So I, I talk about uh, how to write a book in five weeks, right? Which is the core of what I do. You know, how to write a high quality book in five weeks, right? How to publish the right way, um, you know, demystifying the whole publishing experience because I realized so many people don't write their books and so many people don't finish their books because they're afraid of this beast of publishing. And it's like, hey, it's really not so much of a beast, right? You just need to know a couple of best practices, a couple of the things, because the publishing world is not like it used to be at all. And for people like us, that is totally to our benefit, which is really, really cool. So I talk about that stuff. And then I talk about, uh, teach some of the key bits around expert positioning, around choosing your best stories. And then teach the essence of how to have conversations about your book. Like, hey, I'm writing a book about such and such a topic, right? How to have conversations that lay the groundwork to get clients, right? So the, the big takeaway, if you will, from the whole weekend is, to walk, is that folks walk out with their customized roadmap to get their book done and to understand a timeline that makes sense so they can do it, do it the right way you know, leverage it the right way. Um, and most importantly, make the impact they want to make with their message. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so for those who want to join uh, Ben's class, uh, Ben's vir the virtual workshop, I'm going to leave the link in the the notes and we'll, we'll, we'll pass it out as, as we always we will give you his website. But so what one question that came up to me while you were talking, is it better to self publish at this point or or try to find a publishing house that would go that. I, because I know self-publishing is is easy to get to, but is there benefits to one or the other? You know, for the average yeah. person. I, I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, the Stephen Kings or, 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 or things like that. Yeah, no, that's a great question, and Dave, and I really appreciate you asking it. So um, 99 out of 100 times for people like you and me, so speakers, coaches, authors, consultants, right, um, solopreneurs, trainers, folks like us who want to position ourselves as an expert in our space. Like we don't have to be the expert. That's way too much pressure, right? Going back to perfectionism, <laughs> right? But to position ourselves as an expert, as a unique expert, self-publishing is absolutely the way to go. And let me say a couple of qualifiers here. Um, with self-publishing, you don't have to write a book proposal. Uh, you have 100% ownership of all your intellectual property. Nobody is going to 
make editorial changes, you know, without your permission, right? Like you are in charge of your stuff. You can get your book out the door right away. You can do what I did, right? Leverage the power of your book way before it's done, right? You can write it and publish it within five weeks, whatever the case may be. Um, but very, 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 very important. <laughs> if you are self-publishing and I recommend everyone self-publish, uh, do not do it yourself. <laughs> do not self-self-publish, right? In the same way of like, do not do your own electrical work in your house because you might die, right? <laughs> right? This is the same kind of thing. Hire a professional to do your stuff, right? Like don't develop your own website. It, it's it's falls under that same rubric, right? Like most of the time, don't fix your own car. Like unless you really have the skills because you're going to waste so much time, money, and energy in trying to get it done. You're going to make a bunch of mistakes. You're not going to dot the I's and cross the T's in a way because you, you know, because that's not your area of expertise. You know, your best success is going to be focusing on what you do best. If it's speaking, if it's coaching, whatever, like get the clients, spend that time getting clients and make the investment, you know, whatever the investment is in hiring a great firm, a great professional to do that for you, because whatever you invest in, in them, you know, in, in a professional self-publisher on your behalf, you are going to make back, you know, tens, hundreds, if not thousands of times that investment by focusing on what you do in your best in your business and writing a great book. Yeah, no, I, I always agree with that. That's why surround yourself with the best people possible and know that you don't have to be an expert in all fields. Stay in your, not stay in your comfort zone, not at all, but stay in that area of that sweet spot. When, when we talk about uh, the baseball bat again, you know, it's it's that sweet spot. Everything else, try to find the best person that you can afford as well as you can work with. Exactly, beautifully said. Yeah, and and, and I would put a, a an addendum to that. And Dave, I'm sure you would too. Uh, know enough that you can have an educated conversation with right. someone and ask good questions so you can choose the right person to collaborate with, right? You don't want to just be like, okay, do it for me. I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. Like know enough, um, but don't do it yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't walk into the, <laughs> don't walk into the mechanic and saying, I don't know. It's just making a sound somewhere. Uh, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, being educated about everything is really always the, the best value. You've given us a lot of education over this, you know, little uh, episode, and I really appreciate it. Is there any final gems that you'd like to, you know, or seeds that I say in our magic garden that we can maybe plant and see where that grows for people? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I, I'd just love to, to reiterate the, uh, well, let me, let me just even break it down even more. Um, smile as much as you can, right? meditating, driving in the car at work, because, you know, we smile when we're happy, right? But we also become happy as we smile, right? There's a neurological connection, neuroscientific connection. Uh, it totally works. And when you smile, your mind lightens. And when your mind lightens, you know, you constrict less around the difficult situation and you're a better listener. The insights come through, you figure things out. And then you might be going, oh, well, I can't smile because what if somebody's saying something really difficult to me, 
right? Like, of course, somebody's like, oh, my dog died. You're not going to be like, <laughs> oh, right? okay. Yeah, but but what you can do is you can you can smile behind your eyes and in your heart, right? So you can you can energetically smile and lighten your mind because when you do that, you're going to be beautifully present for that person and give them one of the biggest gifts you can give them simply by listening. Yep, and, and listening returns you back to that love. So that's that yeah. you know while you're not might. You're not smiling outside, but if you're returning love, again, even hearing about that, that dog, you might be like, remember the memories. You know, you don't have to say that because some people would be upset during that situation. But if you send out that energy, energy really does play so much in our lives if we allow it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's key right there, if, if we allow it. And uh, yeah, there's no, there's no doubt anymore about about this, right? Like, you know, spiritually, scientifically, quantum physics, like everything is energy. You know, there's, <laughs> you can't deny it anymore. So just freaking do it and enjoy it. <laughs> exactly. Just sit back and, and, and ride it because if not, you're going to learn the lessons anyway, uh, or you're going to have to come back and, and, and learn the lessons. That's the thing that uh, when I talk about the, the word that I, I was talking about was cluberty is all this stuff in life is all the stuff you're either going to learn from if you don't take the time for it, or you're going to have to learn it again. And at least in this instance of being Uncle Dave, I'm like, no, no, I need to stop this crap. And really, I got to learn the things I needed to learn. I needed to go through some of the toughest parts of my life to then bring out the biggest joys in life. As we end up, what are some of the biggest joys in your life? Um, reading fiction. Awesome. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Ah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And anybody who, you know, I don't know if we're going to do, put out the, the video, your, your face just blew up in, with, with one of the biggest smiles. Uh, just saying that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I just read a, I just read a whole bunch of Cormac McCarthy and, um, yeah, I'm just, he did no, no country for old men mm -hmm. among you know, many other titles. Oh my goodness gracious. Um, yeah. So, so, uh, fiction, um, music, travel, all sorts of music, travel, um, coffee. I love coffee. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, um, drinking, drink, sitting and drinking coffee and watching people is really, really fun where I'm, uh, where I'm staying now in Italy. I'm in a small town in southern Italy called San Marco and uh, I can basically like the, there's not so much I mean there are a couple of kind of coffee shops and cafe but cafes around but there's you know there's a little bit of COVID concern and all these kinds of things so I get to sit in my own kitchen drinking coffee and just watch the people go by and then periodically you know read a book on my phone so it's uh, it's pretty freaking cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and as, as of course, you're going to get ready for your virtual, uh, your virtual summit, uh, the three-day summit, the end of uh, October. I just want you to enjoy it, and I thank you so much for your time, and always wish you peace and love. And for everybody else, I wish them peace and love as well. But remember, just to, when you bring a bat, it's creating those moments in life when you know your non-negotiables, how to manage through those non-negotiables. It doesn't only mean about sitting back and going, no, there could be a why and figure out your whys because it's always important. And like Ben shared with us, 
embrace those stories of the now, not only the past or the future. Embrace the now. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure, Dave. Thank you, and thank you, everybody, for listening. I am really glad that you're enjoying the show, and I hope you follow us on all the podcast hosting sites, as well as Facebook, Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat, or you can follow me, Uncle Dave, David Chemetsky, at Facebook, Instagram, Clubhouse, and www.davidchemetsky.com. I also would enjoy for you to contact me if you want to just have some feedback. You need somebody to talk to at peace, love, bring a bat at gmail.com. Well, my friends, today's journey has come to a close. I hope the seeds of peace and love continue to grow for each one of you. Remember the peace and love surround you that will assist you to rise again. And don't forget to bring a bat for what you believe in. Namaste.